Amen. So we're uh, Exodus 34. We're going to look into a pretty interesting uh, situation here. Uh, we, we had ended uh, last week at, with the end of 33 with Moses um, going to the tent when he would go into this tent, this tabernacle, before the, the actual tabernacle was built. This tent uh, was, was spoken of, and as, every, as Moses would go there, everybody would stand uh, you know, and and then when the uh, the Shekinah glory, you know, when the when the when the cloud would come and and oh and uh, cover the the tent uh, and be there, everybody would just bow down and worship. So it's a really cool um, uh, thing to to consider and and what we were uh, studying last week and and what we're moving into uh, this week. So um, now what we're about to study is Moses. Uh, having to cut out two tablets, right? Because he broke the other ones, and uh, and and then the Lord re-inscribing these uh, uh, the law on, on these uh, tablets. So um, uh, the the commandments, I should say, on the tablets. So uh, they, uh, it, it's quite a thing uh, to consider, uh, and and what that means, the symbolism of it. So we'll get into it. Verse uh, one, and the Lord said to Moses. Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And I will write on these tablets the words that are on that were on the first tablets, which you broke. I like that. Uh, but he uh, uh, so be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Neither let their uh, let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So, uh, in these first three verses, we see the Lord giving him the instruction to cut out the old ta- uh, a new set of tablets. Because what did he do when he came down? What did Moses do when he saw all the craziness? Right, he threw them down. And uh, I heard Joe Foch make the the. the the, the joke, he said, here's a man, we, we get to witness somebody breaking all Ten Commandments in one act, and uh, which was kind of funny. But uh, so he takes it, he throws them down, and, and he broke them out of, out of frustration. Uh, you know, when you consider Aaron and her were just left to watch everybody, and when they didn't do it right, uh, we see uh, the frustration come out. And, and Moses is so mad at what's been, uh, what, what is uh, taking place. Um, there's also, uh, there could be the fact that Moses is like, you've heard these things and you don't even care about them. Uh, maybe there's some, you ever been in that, that spot when you're frustrated about something? You're not listening anyways. These things don't mean anything. Bam. You know, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of that in there. We don't know. It's hard to, to really, uh, you know, say one way or the other, but we do know that he was very angry and he threw them down and he broke them. So the first tablets uh, were given to Moses complete. You know, here are your tablets. And they were written uh, by the finger of God, it says, that the finger of God wrote uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments on these tablets. So uh, they were, they were uh, given to Moses as already completed. But now, in this, in this sense, he's told to cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And the Lord says that he'll write on these tablets. So the second set was needed because of Moses' actions. Um, now, you know, the Lord does say, which you broke. Uh, so the Lord was aware uh, of what Moses did. 
and and said, you know, we need to make some uh, some new ones like the ones that I gave you, which you broke there. So, you know, our actions and sometimes our non actions will result in us then having to put in more work. You know that he didn't have to put any works for the, in for the other ones, but now he had to make sure that these ones were cut out and that they looked like the other ones. So uh, there's uh, you know, for me, I look at that and I see uh, a, a lesson speaking to us of you know when our emotions get in and, or when we uh, do things in our own strength and those things, we end up having to put in more work at the end of it, and uh, we see that being evident for him. Because those stone tablets were already done for him when he received them the first time. Now he's got to cut out his own. So uh, just an interesting thing uh, just to consider. Um, I, I wouldn't make a, a big, uh, big, massive claim and stance on uh, everything that can be learned from these words here. Uh, but I do see a lesson in there uh, for us that says, you know, the ones before the Lord didn't say, come up, I've got a new set for you. These ones he had to cut out himself. So there's a there's a there's a lesson there for us to learn uh, that, you know, when our emotions can overtake us, we oftentimes will have to do some more work to get to where we were before uh, or to settle some things down and, and those things. So <clears throat> it cost Moses some work, uh, but the Lord was there being so gracious to him and telling him that he's going to write on them again. So he said, be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself uh, to me on top of the mountain. So the Lord tells him, when you wake up, be ready to go. You know, so no doubt Moses would have packed and, and have had everything ready so that when he could get up, when he got up, he could just grab his things and, and go up in, in the morning. And uh, so he was to go up on Mount Sinai. And again, it says to present yourself to me on top of the mountain. You know, the Lord had already called him and he had been in the Lord's presence. Uh, so he was familiar with being there. But this was a command uh, to come back up because the Lord had to redo what he had already done because of Moses actions. And so he had to get up early in the morning, <clears throat> go and do as the Lord said. And uh, as before, uh, no man shall come up with you. Uh, we know that Joshua went up to a certain spot, spot with him, uh, but everybody else had to stay away from the mountain. And uh, again, uh, this is a sacred meeting between Moses, the leader of Israel, uh, and uh, the Lord. And nobody should be up there seen throughout all the mountain. So nobody should be there like trying to catch animals and no animals should be up there. Nobody should just be around there. This is supposed to be a, a, a sacred place for them to have this meeting. Verse four. So <clears throat> he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord <clears throat> descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgression of sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's uh, children to the third and fourth generation. So what we see here is Moses was called to go up and with nobody else. So <clears throat> Moses 
as we see in verse 4, uh, that he cut the tablets of stone. They were like the first one. And then early in the morning, as he was told, he went up to Mount Sinai. I, I like there that it says in verse 4, as the Lord had commanded him. I love those things when you read through the scripture. As the Lord commanded. As the Lord commanded. Because that's how we should be living our lives. As the Lord commanded. That's how we should be carrying out the things that he calls us to uh, to complete. As the Lord commands. Right? We see that all the way through as the Lord is giving Moses commandments on how they should build the tabernacle. Uh, he's saying you should do these things as I say. There's there's the constant reference to the word of God. That, that the instructions that were needed and should be followed are God's instructions, not man's instructions. doesn't say, well, Moses kind of got up and did his own thing, you know, as much as he wanted to. Uh, and, uh, he, you know, he went up in the afternoon. No, he went, he got the tablets, he rose up early in the morning and went up by himself, all as the Lord told him to do. There's a underlying lesson again there, that as the Lord commanded him, if the Lord is telling us certain things in any type of situation, there may be a situation where we, we just need to back off. We may be the one that is right in the situation, but we need to step back. To be gracious to somebody when we know that they've done something to wrong us. Um, we uh, Because we could, right? We could go all out. We could go to the point where, uh, you know what? No, they've wronged me. They've done this thing. Um, I've told you the story of the kids squirting Jen and the girls um, at the ice cream parlor. Bucksport, my kids were really young. And I think we only had two. Jen might have been pregnant at the time with Natalie. So it was that long ago. Natalie's 14 now. We're just standing there to get ice cream, and I'll be quick and concise with this because I've told it a couple times, I think, but a couple people popped their heads like, what? Uh, we're standing there getting ice cream, and, and this kid thought it'd be funny to come up and squirt my wife and uh, as we're standing there uh, getting an ice cream. So uh, they come up with a squirt gun, and they park because in Bucksport right against Main Street is you know, the dairy port, and uh, we're standing there, and they stop right there, and I could hear the car stop, and um, – and then I hear Jen just go, wow, you know, she's jumping and everything. And I, I think the girls got a little bit on their legs and it would have been Maddie and, and Ashley. Ashley would have been really young, about three years old or so. And uh, and my initial response, I just looked at the kid and said, you're dead, you know, and that was all I could think of. That's not the representation of God that should come out. But that's all. That's like that was my immediate my 100 percent flash came out right there. And in my flash, I run, I jump in the car, my truck. And I leave my family there, you know, and I'm following, you know, and I and I, I, I get out and I'm trying to find them. And I knew I heard them go down. They got a loud exhaust on their truck so I could hear. And I, I'm born, you know, born in Bucksport. I know every one of those roads like crazy, you know. And I heard when they slowed down and I knew they were going right up McDonald Street. OK, I'm going to go up Mechanic Street. That one's parallel. It's the next street over. So I go up and I, I can hear them and I'm cutting it. I'm like, the Lord just said, stop. <laughs> what are you going to do? Like when you catch up with these teenagers, what are you going to do? And I just, I, I just had to repent and turn around. And I went and I got my family and I was so mad. And uh, I could see this judgment on this lady's face. And I'm like, whatever, it wasn't your family that got squirted, you know? And she wasn't impressed, but uh, I, whatever. Uh, like I said, I was totally in the flesh, should not have reacted like that. Uh, if it happened today, I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> so I'll just say that. I, I probably would until I get myself under, under wrapped. I hopefully would just slow down and look at the license plate. Um, but uh, anyways, it was weeks later, maybe a week later, um, I get a call from the police station. And they say that uh, they found the guys. 
Uh, and they've got them there at the station. And I asked to go down, and they're like, wait a minute, we, you know, we don't need that. I think they thought I was going to go down and start something. And and I just, I, well, can I talk to him? And I got a chance to talk to the kid. He's a teenager. He's got a kid on the way. Um, and I, so I just started asking him. I'm like, hey, man, you know, can you imagine? You've got a kid on the way. Can you imagine? How, how would you feel? And we just started talking. I just talked to him about the Lord. I said, do you, I don't know if you have a relationship with God or not, but, uh, you know, if you need a church to go to, go to Orrington. He lives in Bucksport. Orrington's the next town over. You know, get plugged in at Calvary Chapel. Get yourself a Bible. And and uh, I prayed for him. And, and uh, that is what the Holy Spirit does. What John does is get in the car and try to chase him, right? Uh, is, do we see the differences there, those things that can come up? No, it's the it's the the mindset of of we need to slow down and listen to what God is saying because what my flesh was saying was drive like a maniac all the way through town out back somebody's gonna crash and get killed or something you know what I mean it's gonna be nuts no stop slow down go back check on your family so um, I I just my immediate response was I gotta protect my family it wasn't the right thing to do but anyways I should do as the Lord says. Uh, and uh, let him, uh, you know, vengeance is his. Let him take care of it. And he did. Uh, you know, I just needed to let my flesh die and uh, let the Lord take care of it. Now, look what look what happens here. And it says, and 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 he took uh, his uh, and he took in his hand uh, the tablets of stone. Verse five. Now the Lord descended from the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And it says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God. Uh, merciful and gracious. So uh, Yahweh, Yahweh, uh, God, and he says, uh, the Lord God, and look at these words that God says. Now, Old Testament God, right? This is the Old Testament God declaring these things about himself. And he is, he is declaring this about himself, that he is merciful and gracious, that the Lord is consistent and being merciful and not giving us what we do deserve. <clears throat> that he's gracious and not giving us what we do do what we ought to receive. Oh, sorry, that he's giving us what we don't deserve. So he's not giving us what we do, and he's giving us what we don't deserve. Those two things, which we're pretty familiar with here. I know this this crowd pretty well. He's long suffering. Long he will suffer long. Uh, for remember who he's saying this to. To Moses, who has dealt with and has seen God's long-suffering with these people. Since they, they were they were led out of Egypt, they've had to do nothing but deal with the whininess of the children of Israel and the questioning of God's word and the questioning of God's provision and his protection. All of those things have been questioned. It takes patience. It takes long-suffering to be able to go through uh, that and not strike them dead, right? Uh, not to lose your temper, uh, those things. The Lord says long suffering. It says abounding in goodness, abounding in goodness, not not just I'm sometimes good, abounding in goodness. You know, if we want to consider who God is, you can just look at these things right here and, and, and look at this, uh, this. Uh, and like I said before, and I've said it before, and I'll, I'll end up saying it a million times. This is Old Testament God that people say was different than the New Testament God, uh, it, which is so weird to me. But I've, I've actually heard that several times in conversation with people is that the Old Testament God was angry in those things. If he was that angry, none of them would be alive, including Moses, right? <clears throat> Think about it. He says he's abounding in goodness. 
and truth, abounding in goodness and truth. Just consider the word truth. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, what did we see in what was what was uh, uh, displayed in Jesus's life? The truth. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Right. Consider that, you know, that the Lord is abounding in goodness and truth. If we want truth, we want goodness. We want long suffering. We want grace. We want mercy. We want all of those things. We go to the Lord for those things. We don't find those things anywhere else. We may find reflections of those things and little representations of those things. You know, somebody might be merciful and gracious to a point, but the mercy and grace that comes from God uh, will always trump any other, uh, you know, act of mercy or grace that we'll ever um, experience. So such a powerful thing that's being said here. Now consider what's being said here by, by the Lord. He, he addresses something that many will uh, it's, it has, has caused a lot of um, question. It's caused a lot of division with people or generational curses. And uh, what the Lord uh, says here uh, is, is he's not saying that he's going to proclaim generational curses uh, from each of these, uh, these people. What you're going to see is that when somebody's life isn't corrected from here, and then it gets passed on to their son, and that gets passed on, and that gets that's that, those things are going to continue to go on. But it's not the Lord's character, and God's character doesn't change, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're going to turn here. We don't do this a whole lot, but uh, in just a few minutes, uh, actually, you can turn there now. Ezekiel chapter eighteen, verse one, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna look at uh, a good portion of the the chapter of Ezekiel eighteen to have a good understanding of, of some better, uh, some a more contextual um, uh, commentary to see what this means. So the Lord isn't about a generational curse. He's not. And actually, um, we, we're going to read here where Ezekiel is, uh, you know, the Lord is through Ezekiel confronting uh, that mindset that the Lord would hold somebody else accountable for uh, the son accountable for the father's sins. Uh, and, and those things. So we're going to look into that here um, and that type of teaching and how, how dangerous it was. And Jeremiah also spoke against it. Uh, so we know where it's spoken against twice in the scripture uh, that this isn't something that we should be clinging to and, and it needs to be clarified here. So if you're in Ezekiel, um, we're not, I'm not necessarily going to necessarily going to read to you uh, the first 18 verses, but I'm going to do a, a, a summary here as we go through. So if you're looking and you're kind of scrolling over it, that's fine. Um, but, uh, and oh, it's already, uh, you're awesome. <laughs> Amanda's got it up there. So I'm going to summarize it. And as she sees things, she'll probably click through. Um, but I, I really want to focus on verses 19 through 23, where we're going to read together. But if you, if that's up there, that's perfect here. Uh, so considering uh, what is being discussed here is uh, that the Lord wants to make sure uh, that Israel is very clear on something. And uh, where it says in Ezekiel 18, verse 2, it says, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes 
and the children's teeth are set on edge. So meaning the father uh, would have eaten uh, the sour grapes and had the sour taste on their teeth and, and that it would be passed on uh, to the children is, is really what that means. As I said, it was spoken, this, this type of saying, this saying itself was spoken against here by in Ezekiel and also um, by Jeremiah. So uh, it's, it's a bad teaching and what it does essentially, uh, the reason it's spoken against and the reason the Lord wanted to clear it up is because it teaches that there's no hope. Think about it, right? Can you imagine being held accountable for something your father did or your mother did? We, we have no control over that. We can't do anything about those things. But, but for somebody to teach that, no, you're actually inheriting those sins is wrong. We're not. And we're going to see the Lord setting, uh, setting the uh, record straight as we look through here. In verse 3, it says, as I live, says the Lord, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Why are you saying this? Why do you use this thing? What does this mean? The Lord says in, in, uh, in verse 2, and it says, as I live, says the Lord. As the Lord, surely as the Lord lives, you shouldn't say this again, right? Uh, you shall no longer use this in Israel. So God is stating that general curse, uh, generational curses are not from him. In verse 4, there's a proclamation by the Lord. He says, behold, all souls are mine. And he says, the soul of the father and the soul of the son. <clears throat> and then he goes on to say that the soul of, of him who sins shall die. So, um, you know, as we read, we'll see uh, he is speaking of the soul that won't repent. So there's an example given here uh, in these first early verses. It says, but if a man, verse five, is just and does what is lawful and right. And then there are several examples used here of somebody who, uh, as it progresses through uh, the chapter, uh, someone who's refraining from idolatry, from adultery, from sexual sin, oppression. And robbery, and uh, you know that that specific person um, that has withheld themselves from that, and it goes on to say somebody who has given bread to the hungry, covered the naked with clothing, uh, they haven't lent money with interest. Uh, well, the scriptures tell us not to do that with uh, between uh, believers, right? Nor taken increase. Uh, withdrawn his hand from iniquity. This that this person was living a life of integrity. And they're living a life of serving the Lord and serving other people and making other people more important than ourselves, that we would be pouring ourselves out to care for those in need. So the Lord is saying if, if someone were uh, to uh, you know, conduct themselves like this and then they have a son, it goes on to say, if they have a son and that person uh, does all of the opposite things, they become a robber and they end up doing all these bad things that the father had had. Um, uh, not done uh, within his life, then the son will die for his sins, right? So, so there's that important uh, thing to, uh, to uh, that the Lord is pointing out here is like, why are you guys even saying this? What is being said here? Why are you? Why? Why? This should not be said again. Don't say this again. That's a pretty stern reminder from the Lord. Verse thirteen says, "His blood shall be upon him." Verse fourteen. It speaks of the son that sees all the sins which his father has done, but can uh, and considers, but does not do likewise. So reverses it, right? So in the first part, it gives an example of a father who is living a just life, who is living a life of of servitude 
and uh, caring for uh, other people and, and those types of things and living with integrity. And then we see the opposite example being given here where the father is an ungodly man and then the son sees all those things but does not do likewise. Verse 17, it says, but has uh, this, uh, there's a summary here between 17, 17 and 18, says, but he has executed my judgments and walked <clears throat> in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. At verse 18, as for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, robbed by violence, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. So the Lord's setting the record straight. You guys are saying this thing, and what it's doing is it's passing along a message of no hope. Because your, fa your father's no good, that means you're no good, and your kids are going to be no good, and your grandkids are going to be no good. You know, it, it, I mean... Why should that message go on, right? And the Lord's stopping this. You know, he's using Ezekiel uh, to say these things. Now, if you're in Ezekiel chapter 18, uh, we're going to read together verses 19 through 21. Yet you, yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? So that, that argument that, that was being presented before uh, in the Lord's response is because the son has done what is lawful. And right, and has kept all my statutes and observed them, uh, and, and observed them. Uh, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor uh, the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins, uh, which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live and shall not die. What a gracious God. What a gracious Father, right? We were just reading back in Exodus. We're going to finish this out here, so stay, stay right there. But didn't it just say that this God, listen to what he says about himself, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Say that's not being described right here, where, where it goes on to say, but if a wicked man turns from all his sins, right, it, which he is committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live and shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done. He shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all in the wicked, uh, that the wicked should die, says the Lord, and not that he should turn from his ways and live. <clears throat> oh, isn't that a wonderful thing to consider? I mean, it, the the teaching that somebody that there's a generational curse. No, your father did this, so you guys are done. Think of the hopelessness. Okay, let's put it in this for any of us that are our parents in here. Think of the hopelessness for our kids. Right? Can you imagine that? That my sin would be would be poured out upon my kids' lives and that they'd never be able to escape them. Guys, that's a home wrecker. Right? That doctrine is home wrecking, and the Lord set it straight. God is not gonna hold somebody accountable for something somebody else did. It's not how it works. To the third and fourth generation, all those things that, that they were so misunderstanding. Uh, what that meant, it got to a point where they didn't understand that and they were teaching that, no, when you sin, 
uh, your father sins and it's going on to all these other people. And the Lord set the, uh, the uh, record straight very clearly. I mean, there's really no uh, no questioning what's being said in Ezekiel. Uh, you know, so if, if the question ever comes up of generational curses or anything, just remember Ezekiel 18, go there and read it. And it settles the score and move on. Um, uh, it, it's, it's pretty uh, cut and dried there. It's, it's, it's pretty clear. Verse, uh, verse 8. So uh, Moses made, oh, now we're, sorry, we're back in, um, in Exodus 34. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth in worship. And he said, if I, <clears throat> if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. So Moses has the proper response as the Lord has spoken, and uh, as he's in the presence of the Lord, he's bowing his face down. If there's one we're ever going to bow down to, even the most proud of people, if there's one they're ever going to bow down to, it's to God, that we would bow down to God. Because... What we'll see here is that as we bow down to him, he then works on our pride, right? And he starts ripping that pride out of our lives because, you know, consider how destructive pride is. Just go and look at Isaiah 14 and why Satan got kicked out of heaven. The I will statements that, that he wanted to lift himself up because that's what pride does, right? But the proper response in the presence of God and, and what we see all through the scriptures is when they're in the presence of God is boom, they're dropping. They're they're bow they're bowing down. Jesus didn't correct somebody when they would come and drop to their knees. He wouldn't say, "Stand up," because I'm just a man like you. You know, remember the angels when they would bow. Someone would bow to an angel. They would correct him and say, "No, no, no, no. I'm a servant of God too. Stand up. Don't do that. I can't. You're you're not bowing down to me. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's not something you should be doing." But Moses has a proper response, and he bows down and worships the Lord. Then he takes advantage of this opportunity, and he makes a very gracious and uh, and loving request that any good leader would want to do as they're leading uh, people, uh, as God has put them in that position. He says, if, uh, if now I have found grace in your sight, Lord, if I've found grace, if I've found unmerited favor in your sight, O oh Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. What's the prayer? What's he, what's he asking for? And he says, even though we are stiff-necked people and pardon uh, the iniquity of our sin and take, our inherit uh, and, uh, take us as your inheritance. So Moses is, is making a prayer of, of intercession, uh, not, not from God's wrath, He's interceding so that God's presence would be with them, right? Because we saw the Lord saying that God's presence wasn't going to be with them uh, as they had once experienced. We, we studied that last week, right? So here's Moses again, just begging the Lord uh, to go with them and, and, and to be with them. Uh, that, that's quite a request here. Look what he says, go among us. And he says, even though we are a stiff necked people, right? And, that stiff neck, we've, we've seen this several times, the Lord calling them that. Uh, the, the one that always pops into my head the most is Acts chapter 7, Stephen, uh, where he's correcting all, all the religious leaders and, and everybody there, uh, the crowd that's there. And he says, you stiff necked and heart of heart, you always resist the Holy Spirit. 
And what do they do? They plug their ears, they gnash at him with their, with their teeth, and they run in and they take him out, drag him out, and they stone him to death. Stiff-necked, they just proved that they were stiff-necked and hard-hearted because they didn't have, I mean, the, the, the message that man delivered should have, it, it cut them to the heart. And rather than having a repentant heart at hearing the word of God that was correcting them so much, they went the other way, right? We see that often in the scriptures and maybe we've even seen it in our lives where we get to the point where we're cut and, and when we're cut, we respond in violence or we respond uh, in the flesh. And then when the Lord sometimes has cut our heart before uh, on different, uh, different times, we respond in a brokenness and we say, you're right. I am. You're, you're, you're so right. I'm so wrong, Lord. And, and you've been so gracious, so loving and so, so caring. Uh, so uh, that where, where they're saying the stiff neck, uh, he says, even though, please go with us, even though we're stiff necked. Right. That's a, that's a confession. That's a standing in front of God. Even though we're guilty, would you please go with us? Because God had declared that he's gracious and he's merciful and he's long-suffering, uh, all of those things, right? <clears throat> and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. So the three things he asked for to go among us, even though we don't deserve it, pardon our iniquity and take us as your inheritance. You know, those are uh, just wonderful requests. Uh, a, a loving shepherd that Moses was uh, for the flock that he was overseeing here. And what he's, what he's saying, what the, I guess one uh, summary we can make of this is, we don't want to go anywhere without you, Lord. Please, please be with us. Please be with us. What a wonderful thing. So we see the picture uh, in these first nine verses of a very, very gracious God giving them another opportunity. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours only, but also for the whole world. If we fail, we have an advocate with the Father that stands and advocates for us, right? That we, we have Jesus Christ advocating for us. There, you know, the second chances that we've seen in the scripture. We saw second chances in, in, in Abraham's life, saw second chances in Jonah's life, in Peter's life, right? Peter's probably one of the ones that we think of the most often because it's, we can relate really to Peter. Um, but man, you know, when, when you're considering the second chances that are seen all, all throughout the scripture, God is so long suffering and so gracious and merciful. They're all through the scriptures. Remember reading in, in Job, one thing that I recalled reading through this is Job was calling God his prosecutor. And, uh, you know, because Job was at a point where he's saying that God is against him when he's going through all this. He, and and, and uh, a man that has, is tortured by um, his circumstances and now he's dealing with these boils and he's shaving himself with pot shards and and all these things and just the and he's got his friends there discouraging him and saying hey just repent and everything's going to be fine and he's going through all these things but at one point um and uh, uh in job 31 verse 35 he calls god his prosecutor and that is not the case you know, god is god is not our prosecutor he's not he could be he could very very easily put us on trial right our sin puts us on trial but we, the Christian, can stand going, no, wait, 
God isn't, you know, he, he's, he isn't the accuser of the brethren. That is our enemy is the accuser of the brethren. We have the advocate that stands in front of uh, God the Father, and it's Jesus Christ. So we can stand and know that our advocate uh, stands there and, and advocates for us. So if we're ever considering the Lord being our prosecutor, the one that's presenting us as guilty before him as a Christian, we're not guilty before the Lord. We stand in the righteousness of Christ uh, because he is our advocate there. So uh, verse 10, and we'll see a, a renewal of the covenant that God had made with Israel here. Verse, uh, verse 10 says, And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people whom, uh, among whom uh, you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. So uh, the Lord says in verse 11, uh, observe what I command you this day. And, uh, and, and then there's, uh, he explains that he's going to do a wonderful thing that has not been seen uh, in all the earth. Their responsibility in all this was to trust for him to do what he says and to obey his word. You know, just like the old hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way for us to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey, right? <clears throat> That's where we find victory in life. So the Lord is, is saying here that he's making a covenant with them. He's, he's renewing it. He's telling them again that he's going to do these things um, and uh, that they need to observe what he's commanding them. And then uh, God promises to drive out those who are inhabiting the land, uh, those that are, are, are uh, worshiping false gods. And, you know, if there's a question, uh, you know, forever having a discussion regarding this of the Lord driving them out, the earth belongs to the Lord, and he can drive out whoever he wants to. God doesn't need any, anybody's permission to do anything. He has the authority to do whatever he wants. He's God. There are times, I don't know if you've been there in the scriptures, where you read something, and you're like, I don't like that. <laughs> right? You ever been there, and you've read something, and you're like, I don't like that. You know, I know I was recently having a conversation with Oliver, and we were talking about something that's just heavy. And we're like, I don't necessarily like that, but I, I remember him saying, but he's God and he has the authority to do what he wants. And that's absolutely true. God can drive these nations out that aren't honoring his name and he can give Israel this land because he wants to, because he's God. He doesn't have to answer to anybody else. He has the authority to do what he wants. Uh, we are subject to his authority. It's not like we can stand there and be like, hey, Lord, I got a bone to pick with you, right? Uh, we're not going to ever, ever be able to do that, especially standing in his presence. We're not going to be able to. Um, so just uh, just know that uh, that the Lord has the authority uh, to do this, and uh, it's his land, and he's giving it to uh, whom he wants to. Verse 12, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where uh, you are uh, where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, uh, is a jealous God. Lest uh, you make a 
covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices, that uh, sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters uh, play the harlot with their gods and uh, make your sons play the harlot, harlot with their gods. So God uh, very clearly is making a statement here, uh, and he warns them against aligning with anybody else. And the first thing he says is take heed to yourself. Um, for any of us that thinks we don't need to take heed to ourselves, we need to take heed to ourselves, right? That's the biggest thing, all right? If we say, well, I don't really need to take heed to myself. No, that's who that's who the Lord's speaking to when he says those things, right? We have to take heed to ourselves uh, because we are so prone to wander, right? And what does he say with that warning? He says, take heed to yourself, be very careful. And he says, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants. They were not to do that. They weren't supposed to go in. With these people that God was driving out, they were not to do the do, do this. And what do they do? They end up doing it, right? But God says you're not supposed to do these things, that God is going to drive them out, right? And when they're driven out, they had a job to do. And their job uh, was to make sure that things weren't left there to be a snare amongst them. In verse uh, 13, it goes on to say, you shall destroy their altars. Break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. Leave nothing uh, that represented their idolatry there, right? There shouldn't be anything else there. That Now consider that, uh, you know, from a spiritual mindset. When the Lord is moving us forward in our life, we should not be, when we get to a point where he's freeing us of certain things, we shouldn't be allowing things to stick around, right? Okay, so think of it this way. Uh, if somebody has been freed uh, from a marijuana, a, a marijuana addiction, anybody who doesn't say they, that marijuana is not addictive is is crazy. I've talked to say, I, I was never addicted to marijuana, but I've heard several people say it is extremely addictive. OK. And, you know, when you consider uh, what because think of all the chemical uh, um, reactions in our brain and in our body that happen and all these things, our body still wants to it craves those things. Right. So think of it this way. Marijuana, or it can be any other drug. Somebody might want to stand and, and, and okay, think of it as, uh, we'll use another drug like heroin. If God has freed you from that and he's delivered you know, that from somebody's life, anybody trying to keep that around, be like, you know what, I'm just going to keep one hit in the cabinet here. Just, I just need, as a reminder that I'm strong enough and I'm not going to align myself with that again. Or, hey, you know, I, I, alcohol had complete control of my life. Uh, and, and as a reminder for me, I'm going to leave one bottle right in, in, in the thing there to show myself that I have the strength to overcome it. Or pornography had, uh, you know, this, this, uh, uh, this clinch over my life. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave this magazine there. Or I'm going to leave this image here, and I'm and, and so I'm not I'm not going to return to it. I'm going to leave myself. No, what God is saying is, or, or gambling, right? I, I'm I'm going to leave this money there, and I'm going to have the the number to call or the website to visit where I can gamble away the money, whatever the vice is, right? When when God is driving those out, we should not do anything to try to make deals where we would say. I'm going to have a little bit of compromise here because then I can benefit from it. The Lord is driving these people out and God wants them to do nothing with them, to set themselves completely apart. You shall worship no other God than the Lord 
is, is what it goes on to say here, right? He's a jealous God. God doesn't want our affection to be shared with anybody or anything else. He should be number one in our lives. We shouldn't have a 1B. We shouldn't have, you know, yes, there should be two, three, those things. But God should always be number one in our lives, always. And, but we shouldn't have anything there that we're trying to put under the, like a sub, uh, um, I use in my notes, like, um, you guys know what I mean, like a sub uh, category. There's no subcategory. Okay, there's God, uh, and then I need these things, and then I got everything else. No, it's God alone, right? We have a relationship with him, and that's it. But we shouldn't be setting up like these guys were told not to. You know, don't set these things up because what's going to happen is you're going to get snared. And you're going to get drawn in and you're going to end up, your sons are going to end up marrying their, their uh, daughters and you're going to, uh, there's going to be compromise in your lives and it's going to continue to progress and, and it's going to spread throughout all the land. And what did we see happen with Israel? They're just so prone to wander and they followed that, uh, that uh, prone, uh, proneness, that, uh, that desire uh, that was coming up in their life and, and, and look what happened. But the jealous God. You know, I, I, I've shared this before. Uh, some friends of ours that have, have just walked away from the Lord. They're like, a jealous God? Because they were watching Oprah. And Oprah was saying that that uh, she doesn't uh, care. Uh, forgive me for the exact wording. The way they described it, I've never heard Oprah say it. Uh, but basically they're saying, well, Oprah said that it's not good for God to be jealous. Um, so, you know, is he really the God you want to follow or anything? Yes, he is. There's a righteous jealousy, right? There's a righteous jealousy. If somebody has wronged us, there's a righteous jealousy. You know, should that master over us? No. But what God is saying is your affection for me shouldn't be shared with anybody or anything else. That there, that worship is, is, is solely for the Lord. Because what these people were doing, it's going to change the, their character. It's going to change uh, how they live their lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18 say this. Do not be un. I almost just inhaled that water. Excuse me. I almost had one of those coughing fits from inhaling water. So thank you, Lord, that I didn't. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with uh, Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. You know, the Lord makes it very clear. This, that's, there's, we see this being uh, in the Old Testament. We see it in the, Old, in the New Testament. There's supposed to be a, a separation that we're not supposed to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's, it's very clear because what ends up happening, and I remember sharing this with the youth group and, and uh, the um, assistant pastor I was interning under shared this with me. So I was, you know, just grabbing little things and throwing them in my visible backpack for ministry. And I shared this with the youth ministry over in, in uh, Calvary Chapel, Spokane Valley in, in Washington. And I just, and, and we demonstrated this, I think when uh, we did, 
we did at youth group one night. We had one person stand on a ta- on a table, and you know, four or five people around the table and say, "Okay, pull them up." <laughs> and how easy is it to pull somebody up rather than to be pulled down, right? Consider, you know, using that as an example. You know, when we're trying, if we're coming to a point of compromise where we're saying, "Hey, I'm going to meet you right here, and then I'll pull you up." You know, consider missionary dating, right? Where somebody says, you know what, they're an unbeliever, but I'm going to convert them. I'm going to date them and I'm going to convert them. Or, or anything that we can do in our lives that there's compromise for us, it is always going to negatively affect us. Okay, so just we need to be aware. What did the Lord say? Take heed to yourself because you're going to find yourself wanting to do these things, right? So when we see these things that want to stay around in our lives, you know, all these ites that the Lord just talked about driving out, when those things have been removed and they've been pushed out of our life, don't have anything to do with them anymore. Don't mingle in with them. Don't get unequally yoked with them again. Move and walk forward with the Lord in the, uh, the freedom that he has given us, not looking back and not getting uh, ensnared uh, with what the, you know, these things uh, that uh, can, you know, act as a snare and, and catch us in those. We don't want those things in our lives. This, what was being described there is a slow and easy transition uh, in, uh, to letting our guard down and going right back into bondage. Okay. Verse 17, <clears throat> you shall make no uh, molded gods for yourself. And that's uh, again being said here just so that they understand. <laughs> right. So you, you notice that verse 17 just says you shall make no go- uh, molded gods for yourself. You know, if if uh, Israel was there, uh, you know, uh, with uh, with Moses up on the mountain, there'd probably be a look from God looking over at them uh, like, right, we're not going to do that again, guys. Right. Um, so that's uh, that in and of itself, when we consider what happened in 32, when Moses came down uh, from the mountain, here's another uh, just reminder here that that's not acceptable at all. Verse 18, the feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib. Uh, for in the month of Abib you came out of uh, out from Egypt. So there's uh, that reminder that the, um, the feast of unleavened bread would remind them of leaving uh, their bondage uh, very quickly, that they didn't stay there long enough to be able to bake cakes or anything. They, uh, they, they didn't have that time to do so, so they would remember that uh, through the, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, and that they wouldn't forget God's great deliverance. Verse 19, all, all that open the womb are mine. Every uh, male firstborn among your livestock, uh, whether oxen or sheep, uh, but the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. Um, so, uh, what's essentially being said here is God is restating what he said in Exodus 13 and in Exodus uh, 22. So these things have already been brought up and studied. Um, but, uh, what essentially God is saying is that you can't prosper from these things. These are, are needed, uh, to be, uh, an offering to the Lord, uh, and not be compromised or held back. You know, when the Lord has blessed, we should be, uh, uh, blessing him in return. Uh, so they weren't to hold those things back. So the, uh, it goes on to say all the firstborn of your sons, you shall redeem and none shall appear before me empty handed. 
uh, you know, we should always have something to offer the Lord, uh, you know, some sort of praise uh, to offer the Lord, that when we come to him, um, we should offer thanksgiving. You know, when you consider what it even says regarding anxiety and stresses, right? Be anxious for nothing, Hebrew, uh, sorry, Philippians 4, 6 tells us, right? Uh, be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I've had to memorize that in my life. I've had to use that to get through my own anxieties in my life, right? But there's always the reminder to go to the Lord with thanksgiving. You know, uh, you know, consider the model prayer. You know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, when, when you go through that there, but there's that hallowed be your name. It starts with praise, right? It starts with, you know, when we go to the Lord. Guys, if we're, if we're in an absolute distress and, and our life is hanging by a thread, if you don't say thank you to God, it's not like he's not going to hear you. But we have the reminder when we're going to the Lord in a time of prayer where our mind is, is somewhat screwed on in our head, screwed on right, that we should be going to the Lord in thanksgiving and praising him for what he's already given us, already done for us. And, and then approach him with our petitions. Right. So th this offering of the firstborn, all these things. When we approach the Lord, when we're and, and for them, you know, obviously these things will be given uh, so that, you know, they would be uh, used for the Lord. Right. But there's uh, you know, for us, there's a reminder when we go to the Lord, we should go to him with thanksgiving and uh, and uh, be uh, ready to do so and not uh, not do it begrudgingly. Verse <clears throat> verse 21. So as I, some of these things are going to sound uh, similar, but uh, they're. They needed to be reminded of these things because uh, they uh, were so quick to turn back, right? 21 says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Commanded rest from the Lord. And you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of uh, wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering. At the year's end, three times a year, your uh, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. So the Lord commanding that the men, the ones that are in charge of of uh, leading the nation, and and consider that men as uh, as a uh, commission on our lives, if we've never looked at it that way, that we are called to be the leaders. Uh, we are called to be the leaders in our communities, in our homes, in this church, uh, wherever we are. We are called to be leaders. Um, it's not that, it, and and don't mistake that for a woman has nothing to offer. That is absolutely not the case. Uh, we know that from from looking at the study, uh, the, the Bible, you know, women's rights. Uh, look at the Bible, and that's where you see where women's rights really came from, right? So, but consider this, men. This is this is like. This is the arrow pointing to us like, guys, you better be doing these things. So God would call all men to go and worship him, that they'd have to go three times a year, that they couldn't go empty handed. They had to come and they had to be ready to praise God and to make an offering to him. Right. Because if we're only going to God like I need something, I need something. Right. What, what does that 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 um, really teach us in our lives? You know, the Lord is, is saying here uh, that these men were to appear before the Lord. Uh, the Lord God of Israel, and uh, that they have responsibilities as leaders. Verse 24, For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders, 
neither will any man covet your land when you go up to a beer before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall uh, uh, the sacrifice of the feast of Passover be left until morning. Uh, we've seen, we saw that happening also. So these are all just reiterations. The first of your first fruits of your land you shall bring uh, to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a, and a young goat in its mother's milk. And that, as the pagans would do, they would boil uh, the um, baby in the um, uh, in the mother's milk. Uh, that's uh, a pagan thing that the Lord is saying, don't be a part of. These are all uh, things that we've already read and studied. Verse 27, then the Lord said to Moses, write these, uh, write these words for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So uh, he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets of uh, the words of the covenant, <clears throat> uh, the Ten Commandments. So the tablets that were brought up, the Lord uh, graciously right wrote them down again. Right, there, there's a, the the grace of God being described there. Right, Moses is in, in his anger destroyed something, and uh, God uh, once again saying, "Hey, uh, these aren't the tablets I gave you, but I'm still going to write uh, the Ten Commandments." On them, so the Lord did. And Moses, we see here for forty days and forty nights, uh, he's there fasting uh, in the presence of the Lord. We can see the Lord Jesus. I believe it's in uh, uh, John chapter four or Mark chapter four, um, uh, where uh, the Lord is uh, uh, you know, fast for forty days and forty nights. Uh, but uh, it's uh, we we see that a few times throughout the scriptures. Verse 29, now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands, uh, hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them. And Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked to them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them uh, as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in uh, before the Lord to speak with him, he would take uh, the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. So uh, we see Moses, he's not aware. Um, you ever been out in the sun and uh, you don't realize that you are getting toasty fried? You ever, ever experienced that? You know, usually it's like, when you start feeling that your skin is hot, you're a lobster, right? Uh, you know, those types of things. So some uh, consider that, right? So we haven't experienced this where our face is glowing. I don't, I don't think any of us have, right? Where you've been in the presence of the Lord that your face physically is, is growing, is glowing. Hopefully not growing, um, but glowing. So when he comes down, everybody's freaked out. And Moses doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't even know. <clears throat> 
what's <clears throat> what's happening here. So when he comes down, and he finds out why is everybody and your face is glowing, man. Uh, you know when 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 he gets that, he, so then he goes and he talks with Moses and the leaders, and um, and then the the children of Israel also. Um, and he, he gave him the command, and then he would put the veil uh, back over, and then he would go in and he'd go to the presence of the Lord, take the veil off, and he'd bring it back. You know, consider those things. You know, what, what's happening there? Uh, Moses, as he's in the presence of the Lord, he's physically changing. There's a physical change that's taking place in him that's evident to everybody else out there. You know, if we look at some personal application for us, as we're spending time with the Lord, there should be changes happening in our life that are very evident to other people around us, that we're not the same person we were when we first came to the Lord, that we're not the same person we were for, you know, from our first six months. There should be a constant growth that as we're spending time with the Lord, we should continually be showing signs of maturity. We should be maturing. If we're not maturing in our faith, then we're in a stagnant or backslidden uh, space in our lives, right? That the We don't want to be in those things. We always want to be as we're in. You notice the glowing came from being in his presence. The change came from being in his presence. If we want to maintain those things in our life, we have to be in the presence of the Lord. We have to be on our face uh, in front of him in prayer. We have to be uh, in the word. We have to be spending time with the Lord for him to affect our life. And that, and, and as we're allowing the Lord to affect our life and we're yielding to the power of the Lord uh, in our life, then it's going to be evident and it's going to be a blessing to everybody around us, right? Everybody was scared and he's like, hey, he calms them all down and he explains, you know what? I've got something to give you that's going to actually edify you. And then he was actually able to share, hey, look, I, I know this is something miraculous that you're experiencing. Let's get past that. And then I need to encourage you uh, with these words from the Lord. And he would give them the encouragements. He'd give them the commandments, whatever it was from the Lord. And then he'd go back into the presence of the Lord. That sounds like a pretty awesome existence, doesn't it? <laughs> Just go to the presence of the Lord and then come out and declare what God says and then go back in the presence of the Lord. Let us get in that same mindset, brothers and sisters, because that's where our transformation is going to happen. That's where, you know, those things uh, that, that we're desiring, we're asking the Lord to change, help us to grow. That's where we're going to find the victory in those things. And that's where it's going to be evident to all those around us. And we can share what God said, what God did, and we can encourage them in their walks, right? Amen. So I just amen my own right, but that's okay. So, it's important to understand that as we're reading through this, it's the presence of the Lord. Uh, this is what I had Corey write down last week. Uh, it's the presence of the Lord because uh, we we're putting the chairs out and I knew I'd forget it. And I'm like, the presence, it's the presence of the Lord that makes the difference uh, in, in our lives. It, it, it's uh, the difference for everything in our lives. Big things, uh, you know, little things, day-to-day -day things, the ministry. If, we, if it's not the presence of the Lord and, and we're doing these things on our own strength, that's going to be evident. Those things are going to be evident to us and to those that are closest to us, right? Those who are closest to us, our family, our, our close church friends. But then it's also going to be evident to those that we work with, whether we're, we're close with the Lord or, or if we're compromising in our lives. The, either way, we're going to be reflecting one thing or the other. I'd rather be reflecting something 
that's going to build and edify somebody and draw them into a relationship with the Lord than misrepresenting the Lord and driving them away from the Lord. But we have to understand the source for that type of victory, the the biggest thing um, uh, and the biggest difference uh, for everything that we would have victory in these things is the presence of the Lord. You know, when we consider the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us, right, the presence of the Lord, that we spend time with the Lord. When we're in prayer, when we're in the word, when we're in fellowship, brothers and sisters, if there are people that say, I don't need, I believe, and I don't really go to church anymore, uh, any of those things, I don't need to go to church, I can have church by myself and everything. It's, it, no, we are called to be together in fellowship, right? We see it in Acts. We see it in Hebrews 10.25, right? In Acts, how was the church growing when they were together? And how are they getting stronger in their faith together, right? Because when we're like-minded and we can talk and we see, hey, you know what? Somebody's downcast or whatever. Hey, what's going on? Let me pray for you. Put your hand right on their shoulder. We're brothers and sisters. Let's go through this together. You know, that's how we grow. That's that's, uh, how we experience victory in our life is being in the presence of the Lord and being amongst his people, being in his word, uh, being in prayer, those things. That's how we're going to make sure that we're not making the compromises and going back to uh, the the old life, those things that have been driven out of our lives before, right? And we're going to find victory in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray, God, that we would uh, just... uh, Submit our lives and our will to yours. Give us more of your presence, Lord. We want your presence, Lord. We don't want to uh, have anything to do with those things that have been driven out in front of us. Lord, we want your presence. We want to uh, experience uh, what it is to be with you and uh, to walk with you. We want to display that to this lost and broken world around us. We want to display it to our brothers and sisters here to edify one another. Thank you, Lord. We we praise you for all the work you are doing and, and will do. In Jesus' name, amen.